Welcome to this week's podcast from Capital Church's Young Adult Service. We hope this message encourages you, and thank you for joining us. I have a message. This is more of uh, something I was just going to probably do, a little bit of this teaching. I was going to do it on a workshop tomorrow, um, but we're going to go ahead and make that happen tonight. Um, and I want to talk about this. You can write this down. Two words. I want to talk about greater righteousness. And this is out of Matthew uh, chapter, I'll be in Matthew chapter four, Matthew chapter five, six, seven. Don't worry, I won't read all those chapters. Uh, But I I love it. When you look at the book of Matthew, you see that the gospel of Matthew, it's introduced with a genealogy. And we see that in that genealogy, it's just not a list of random names, but Matthew's making a point to this Jewish audience. And the point that he's making as he's introducing Jesus is that Jesus is just not some rabbi. He's just not some poet. He's just not some influencer of his day. Uh, And he had a good following and he helped a lot of people who need help. But he's showcasing to the world at large, uh, both past, present, and future, that Jesus is the king that Israel in the Old Testament has been writing about and waiting for for a long time. And you see that the book of Matthew is all about a big word here, kingdom. And it's used about 50 times alone in the book of Matthew. And we see that the theme, the major theme of the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew is kingdom, 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 kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. They mean the same thing. They're just, they're just, they're used. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. And we see in Matthew chapter three, it says in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent for the kingdom of what? Heaven is at hand. So the first time it's used, and it's used 49 other times throughout the course of these 28 chapters. For this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one cried in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. I got a prophetic word a long time ago. I got pulled aside, and uh, this person gave a, a, a word to me. He says, you are, you are like John the Baptist. And I'm like, oh, crap. Excuse me, like, <laughs> I've read about him. What does that mean? I'm not going to get married. And this is before I was even married. And he died early, right? He didn't have a long life. And it wasn't a good death. And so I'm like, thanks. Uh, anyhow, that was, I don't know. I've had a lot of those prophetic words. Not like that, but I don't know if it's like, I don't know, God using people just to kind of keep me, keep me grounded, to keep me humble. But here we had this, I just read that just now and just remember, wait a minute, I had a word that I was like John the Baptist. Different clothing, different diets, lonely, solitary life, <laughs> saying things poetically to people for them to unravel, few friends, you know? Uh, I think we better be careful, like, who we want to, like, have someone, you know, uh, like, who, who we want to be compared to. Point is this. Going back to John. Here he is. He's saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is hand. What he's saying? He says, the kingdom of God is here. So that means that you have to change the way you live. You have to change the way you think. You have to change the way in which you prioritize certain things. Everything about your life has to change. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, Olympics. Garrison alluded to the Olympics. Uh, how many have enjoyed the Olympics? Yeah, come on, on Pete. Guys, thank you, Susan, in the back. It happens every four years. 
And this is what I'm, I am passionate about this because we've given up on so many things in our nation. And I asked how many ever enjoyed the Olympics and you're like, yeah, I don't know what's so big about it. Like what? I don't know. Maybe they're the top athletes on the globe, in the globe. And they, you see when the medals are placed on their necks or now they're placing them on themselves. What do they do? They break down and what? Yeah. Why do they cry? You don't know. You don't know their backstory. That's why they cry. They're crying because we don't fully know their backstory. If we knew their backstory, we would cry with them. There's better programming out there. No, no, there's not. No, there's not. You go 30 feet off a platform, do flips in the air in a little speedo, and land in the water, and don't make a big splash. And then you tell me there's something better on television out there. There's, there's not. I, we could all right now, I could take a test. We all go find, we'll go to McCall, go off those cliffs, it's about 30 feet, and you do what they did. And if you can do it, they're like, okay, you got a point there. But, but you won't be able to. Now, what I love about the Olympics is there's just so much opportunity for entertainment. Like, I thought I knew what handball was. I thought handball was you go into like a racquetball court. And it's against the ball, against the, that's wall, is that wall ball? But I thought that was handball. I didn't know handball involved, it looks like a basketball court. You, have you guys even seen it? Yeah, you have to, you pass to each other. It looks like water polo without the water, basketball, what else? I mean, volleyball, it had, and, and hockey combined. So that's interesting. Track and field, interest anybody? Oh yeah, there you are now. Yeah, you're all excited. Okay, thank you. Here, here's the thing. When I, when I think about those different activities, I think, I think like mi mini kingdoms. Like, just track with me for a minute. Like, John says, you have to change the way you live, act, think, process life. Why? Because I've already introduced and proven it through this genealogy that the King Jesus, the King of the world, has arrived, and with him, he's brought his kingdom. It's been inaugurated. He's, he's ushered it in. And it requires, because of this royal rule, it requires that you live, think, and act differently. It means like this. You wouldn't just enter into the high dive competition and then get to the edge. Right? That was, and you just wouldn't fall off backwards and do free fall. You, what would you do? You'd get disqualified. You wouldn't score well. You wouldn't go um, track and field, and you wouldn't run the opposite direction. Or you wouldn't take, like, hockey rules and then apply it to track and field, right? It, meaning, it, it makes sense. When you think about the different little kingdoms, the different rules when it comes to these activities that we see even in the, in the Olympics, there's a way in which people have to reorientate their life to be able to compete in, in that event, and there's, there's like a, there's a, there's awareness to it. It's like there's this globally accepted, yeah, that's the way you do that certain thing. But I think when we think about kingdom of heaven, we just think about it, it's just so general and so broad. We don't give much thought to, okay, does that mean and does that require that I'm supposed to live different if I want to be a follower of Jesus? Because I think what happens is we just take in information and we take in these good ideas but if we're not careful, we don't really allow it to bring transformation into the, the depths and hearts of our life. And John's saying, listen, you have to change the way you think. You can't live the same way. 
And in Matthew chapter five, we see, it says, do not think that I've come, this is Jesus speaking in his first sermon. Says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, this is Jesus' way of saying, listen up. Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. No one wants to become least in the kingdom of heaven. No one crosses the finish line last in great celebration and joy and just just blowing kisses to the crowd and just uh, giving like these, this acceptance speech of, yes, I finished dead last. No, no, no one does. You, they break down the opposite direction. All that hard work proving that they weren't the champions of the world. He goes on to say, but whoever does them, whoever does these commandments that Jesus is speaking about, which are related to the kingdom of heaven, whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 20, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 20 used to just to boggle, it just used to frustrate and boggle my mind all the time. Because I'm thinking, oh my goodness, Jesus is coming to put more onto what already is out there for us to follow. I used to think that, but I think he is putting more, but I don't think it's like 614. It's like 613 rules. I don't think it's now, or commandments. I don't think it's now 614, 615, and we're going to make our way all the way up to 800. I know that because you and I can't follow 800 rules every day. How do I know that is because Jesus simplifies it all in Matthew 22 and puts all the laws, all the prophets into two major rules, which, right, he quotes the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6, and then he quotes Leviticus 19, says the greatest laws or the laws and commandments or the laws and prophets are summed up in these two, that you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might, your strength, and you're to love your neighbor like you love yourself. So all of the commandments are wrapped up into those two. So I don't think when it says the greater righteousness that he's saying that there is more laws that I'm adding to the fulfillment of laws and prophets. I just think he's saying it's something different. And I want us to look at that tonight. What, what is that something different? What is that exceeding righteousness? Some translation says greater righteousness. What is that that Jesus is talking about? He shows us as he works his way through the sermon on this mountain. We see that the gospel of Matthew, it introduces Jesus as king and we see that Jesus, the king, introduces the kingdom of heaven to a, to a new world. Or, it's a, excuse me, the kingdom of heaven to a new way of, of living. We see that the kingdom of heaven, what it does, it places the demand on all of our lives. Uh, that we are to live completely different. Um, I know this, that the kingdom of heaven, when it's followed at its best, and I'll explain what that means in a moment, when Jesus is seriously looked at and when he's seriously followed, he doesn't equate to worse living or more frustration or defeat. But when you follow Jesus rightly and consistently, what you find that he leads you to is a whole human experience. You see that he leads you and I into what's called human flourishing. Meaning, yes, what he can take you through, as we talked, even Elijah talked about today, the valleys, God will take you through the valleys, but he doesn't keep you in the valleys. 
So I think we got to be careful uh, to, to, to not, I'm not saying that when you follow Jesus, life gets easy. Sometimes it's the opposite for a moment. When you choose to really follow Jesus and really say yes with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, sometimes it gets worse and more difficult and there's more pressure. But the outcome is this, that you're not solo. You're walking with Jesus. He's taking you through the valley. It's like, I'm, I try and be a good dad. So, and I know that the heavenly father is greater than I could ever imagine. He just doesn't say, hey, you, kid, Shane, get through the valley. I'll see you on the other side, man. You got everything you need. You got it. If you need to run a little bit, go ahead and run. Do with your eyes closed if you need to, but maybe open a little bit because you're going to get hurt. Trip over a rock. That, that's not the picture of it. The picture is God present with you. Yahweh is walking with you through those tests, through those trials, through issues in home and family and life. Uh, but I love the fact he does, just doesn't stop in the valley. He walks us all the way through it. So where is he leading us to? He's leading us to strength. He's leading, leading us to human flourishing. And when we choose to really look at Jesus and really consider what his kingdom is all about, um, I think what happens, it begins to change how we look at ourselves. When you look through the perspective and the lens of the kingdom of heaven, how you look at yourself changes. How you view your family changes. When you begin to look at not the world inward, but you begin to look at what it means to be Christian. It means to be in relationship, dynamic relationship with Christ. When you begin to start there and you begin to look out to the world, it begins to change how you look at the stranger. It begins, how you it begins to influence how you look at your enemies. It begins to change how you view your family and close friends. Man, it, it changes how you look at your neighborhood. It changes how you look at your workplace to where you're like, I know I'm not here for a long time. And I'm not even here for a good time. I'm here in this workplace because God planted me because somebody needs to hear what he's done in my life. And someone needs to know the full story of what Jesus is all about. But come on, you can't have that perspective if you don't start from the position, the lens of what's the kingdom of heaven all about and what's the mission of Jesus and what has he come to do to our world? He's come to transform and to change it. Uh, and we see in John chapter 17 and Romans chapter 12, both the apostle John and, or the apostle Paul uh, and John, they give, us, they give us some hope. In John 17, we see that even as Jesus is praying to the Father, He's saying that uh, we're not of the world, but we're in the world. And we see Paul says, you don't have to be conformed to this world. But there's an option that's given because of the achievements of Jesus and the example that he set. You, your entire life can be transformed while you're living in a world that is broken, while you're living in a world that is crazed with rage and uh, uh, greed and they're out for their own. Even though you're not from that, you're in it and you're in it because Christ has made you influencers in those pockets of, of culture and society in your own home. So we, we, get, we get hope from this. And Jesus sets the example as Matthew opens up this story, as Jesus on this mountainside talking to his 12 disciples, Jesus growing up, obviously Jewish, Matthew being Jewish, being a faithful Jew, we're seeing that both Matthew is 
recording what's taking place as Jesus is speaking to a predominantly Jewish audience. People who are rule breakers? No, they're not. Like, I... Something that bugs me, there's a few things that bug me about myself. One is that I'm a, I'm a pretty solid rule follower. And sometimes I just can't stand that about myself. Sometimes there's those days I, I'm like, I want to be like, I just want to, you know, not just be so rule following. You know? Any, any rule followers in here? You know who you are. You know it. Just, Okay. Well, we would make a great audience at the feet of Jesus as he's, as he's teaching. Because he's talking to a bunch of us rule followers, and we're listening, and we're like, yeah, yeah, yep, love it, yep, got it, yep, that's me, yep, uh-huh. And everyone else is like, what? getting uncomfortable, but us rule followers, like, we love this guy. Like, he's like telling our story, and we've waited forever for someone to share what has been the struggle in our hearts, right? Our life. Like, I'm a time guy. Like, if it's eight o'clock meeting, I like to be there no later than eight o'clock. <laughs> Some of you in this audience, you think eight o'clock means anywhere from, you're like the delivery guy, anywhere from eight to noon. <laughs> or noon to five, right? That just gets me about delivery guys. Like, just give me an exact time, right? And I mean, we can just, the world can just operate so much better with that, right? So I'm on time. I'm a rule guy. And Jesus is, he's here. He's, he's speaking. He's pulling from the Old Testament. Just, it, you're going to read Matthew this next week or month and challenge you. He's pulling from the Old Testament. He's well-versed in the Old Testament. As he's speaking, they're getting flashes like, whoa, this reminds us of like what we heard from like our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents. And like it kind of, he kind of has like a Moses vibe to him where he's on the mountain and he's, he's speaking in a way that we, we heard as we read the law and as we read the prophets, like how Moses was described. And then as they began just to continue just to, to watch Jesus, like he talks about healing the sick and raising the dead. And they're probably thinking that has like that Old Testament prophet Elijah, Elisha motif to it, to where like, well, they're like, breathing on people and laying on people and like dead people were coming to life. And then there's like the, the, the 12 that Jesus is selecting to commission the church and to extend the mission as it goes into all the parts of the world. And they're probably thinking now that has a feel like Jacob's 12 sons, the sons of Israel. There's just something unique and different about this character. And it begins to, to go on and he begins to to share what the kingdom of God is all about. And he begins to bring up what the law says. And then us rule followers are like, yeah, that's exactly it. And then he adds something else to it. And like, whoa, 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 no. Like, like, we thought we were obeying it correctly. We thought we were following the rules. But then you're saying, we thought we were doing a good job. And you're saying that we can't enter the kingdom of heaven unless our righteousness is greater and exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees? Like, what? How is that possible? We thought it was impossible to follow what Moses laid out for us. Now you're saying that there's even more to it. How can this be? And what we see is that Jesus is offering this fresh new way uh, of living that's going to influence the world. And when you look at Matthew chapter 4, and I'll read it in a moment, 
But this is after Jesus has been uh, fasting uh, for 40 days. He is led into the wilderness by the Spirit, and he's there, and the enemy uh, pounces. And in Jesus' weakness, because he's hungry, have any of you fasted 40 days? I fasted three days. I done a seven day, not just walk, not, not food, like I blended everything. <laughs> but just even after two days of fasting, like I'm ready to throw in the towel. But 40 days of fasting and the enemy preys on Jesus' humanness, on his weakness. And Jesus sets this beautiful example of how we all can live if we choose to. And there's a series of choices that you see in Matthew chapter four. And then when you get to the end of Matthew chapter seven, when he's beginning to wrap up his sermon, like I will in a moment, uh, you see that he also ends with a series of choices. He ends with the choice of there's two gates that you can choose. There's the narrow gate that leads to human flourishing and life. And then there's the wide gate or the broad gate that leads to destruction two choices you choose. Then there's two trees. There's the good fruit, the fruit bearing tree that leads to life and flourishing again. And then there's a tree that leads the opposite direction, two choices, two gates, two trees you choose. And then there is two foundations. We see that there is the foundation in Matthew chapter seven, verse 24 of the rock. He says, you build on the rock, which is the truth and your life will stand, your home, your building project will stand, even the storms of life. He's not saying build on the rock and no storms come. He's saying, guess what? Storms are coming. So here's your two options. You build on the rock, and if you build on this certain, sure, unmovable foundation, which is Jesus, then your life will stand even the worst gale force winds and storms that you can even think possible. That's why you see Christians who built their life on the rock in Matthew chapter seven and adversity and all hell breaks out against them and you don't see them flinch. And now do they flinch? Yeah, they probably flinch, but they flinch probably in their prayer time. They flinch in the presence of Jesus. And they're saying, this is where you told us to build. We've built here. All things, everything is coming against us. But we know that the footings are sure. We know that the rebar is in the right place. We know that we didn't dilute the cement and the concrete is, it's, 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 it's been vetted. It's been, it's been tried. It's been tested. The inspectors have come over. I'm in a building phase right now. And and they've checked everything out. The soil condition is good. We've gotten the, that, that slip. We've gotten that approval. And so we went off that approval because you said that you will never leave us nor forsake us. You said that your word it accomplishes all that's been sent to do. You said that. So we decided upon your word to build our life on that rock. But he says there's also the foolish man who builds the, their life on, on the sand. And not if, but when the rains and adversity comes and when the storms howl against that build job, against that project, great is its fall. You find this. If you've ever mixed concrete before, you really have to follow the instructions because you can get a 50, bag, 50 pound bag of concrete put it into your wheelbarrow or even if you have like an electric mixer, it'll tell you how much water to use. 
So you put that amount of water in, and you're like, no, that doesn't seem like enough. What happens is if you put too much water, what happens to the cement? You mess the whole thing up. Why? You over-dilute it. And so what happens is, sure, it might harden up, but you can't put any amount of weight on it, and eventually it'll break apart and collapse. I don't know, when I was reading this earlier in the week, I was just thinking, man, that's, that's so true. That's been true in my life at times, to where I've allowed too much into my heart, too much into my spirit that hasn't been co-signed by the Holy Spirit, and my faith begins to get diluted. My, my, my thinking begins to get diluted. My, my life begins to get diluted. And what happens is I become weak, not in just one area. It's amazing how it just doesn't affect one area. It affects all areas of your life. And so we see gate, we see trees, and then we see foundation. And Jesus is saying here as he wraps up the Sermon on the Mount, he says, these are, these are the options that you have. The, the choice is yours whether you're going to follow this new way of living that will lead you, even though you're going to go through adversity and difficulty, it will lead you to a life of complete wholeness. It will lead you to a life that flourishes with joy, peace, hope, righteousness. You'll be content in the presence of Jesus. Or you, like many, can, can choose to go a different route, but just know this, not a little, but great will be the calamity of it. And what we see um, when we move past just even thinking about, okay, he's introduced us to a new kingdom. Um, in that kingdom, you're going to see that Jesus introduces us to his way of righteousness. And his way, and this, this, made, this makes sense for me, especially when you consider Abraham chapter 22. In Abraham chapter 20, Abraham chapter 22, Genesis 22, Abraham's the main character. Actually, Yahweh's the main character. Abraham's, he's a supporting character. And so Abraham is there. He was granted this incredible promise. Stuff that even people read today, they still shake their head out. There's no way. There's no way. God couldn't do that. There's no way you can have a kid at that age. Uh, senior citizens aren't having kids. Um, but those senior citizens weren't talked to directly by God and the promise given. And we see that Abraham does have a son. His name's Isaac. And in Genesis 22, uh, God asked Abraham to take Isaac to Mount Moriah. And on that mountain, uh, which is very interesting, is a very popular mountain throughout scripture. Can you see that Mount Moriah uh, is where Jesus is, is, is speaking, even on the Sermon on the Mount. We see that as he is on that mountain, and he's about ready to do what God asked him to do, sacrifice his one and only son. Uh, we see that there's a choice to be made. Abraham has two choices here, to obey God and see what happens, or disobey God and see what happens. So he could have disobeyed God, and he would have had one son, Isaac. He would have been a household of one child, I believe. Or, and he did this, he could choose to trust God even when it doesn't make sense. I, give, I have to give him a lot of credit. I don't, I mean, you think about that. There's moments in your life where, like Abraham, things that God asks you to do just don't make sense in the moment. And from my limited perspective, 
But like Abraham, Abraham, he, he, he made this choice. I think this is what marked him as one of the major patriarchs of the Old Testament is the fact that he chose to believe God even when he didn't have all the details. Even when he, like the other day, I cheated. I looked up and I Googled, did the U.S. women win the volleyball? Did they win gold? Because I was watching it, right? But I'm thinking, obviously, this is probably, pre, I, I don't know if it was live. So I went to search for it, and it gave me nothing. But I just wanted to admit that to you. Like, I, what, cause I, what I wanted to do is I wanted to see, because my, my kids were watching it with me, I wanted to see that they won, and so that I could put the phone away and just enjoy, just, even if they went down. <laughs> you know, they're down, that's fine. And my kid, I wanted to see my kids stress out, and I wanted to be okay knowing, I, I know, I, I read the end of the book, right? I know what happens. Um, but that's not, that's not our, that's never our, advantage point. What we have to do is trust that God knows the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. And this is what Abraham decided to do. And I'm just believing even tonight that big decisions in your life, even if they're not big decisions, just your life alone is a big decision to live like this. And it's just this making this willingness to choose that even if I don't understand it all. And if anything, if 2020 has taught us anything, it's taught us there's a lot of things we don't understand. And we have to, it's not an option. We have to have a close relationship with the Holy Spirit. Like we have to be in tune with the very presence of God. And we have to get to this position in our, in our personal life where we say, God, even if I don't fully understand it, I'm going to trust you. What is Jesus saying to the audience? He's saying the same thing that Abraham experienced. So what are you saying, Pastor? Are you saying that greater righteousness is Abrahamic righteousness? Exactly. It's not talking about imputed righteousness here. It's just not talking about the, the 10 other things you have to do so you can get into the kingdom of God. I think, and it seems to me that what Jesus is saying, greater righteousness, this exceeding righteousness is a righteousness that says, no matter what, I trust you fully. And because I trust you fully, I'm going to live out whatever you put in my life to live out. I'm going to do it to its fullest. But not only did Abraham trust God fully, he also... He also looked to God as provision. And he disadvantaged himself. I want you to see this. He, he, he gave up Isaac for a moment in his heart, knowing that his creator was managing the whole story and scenario. But he had to walk that out to really learn it. And he, he gave up the dream. He gave up the promise. He gave up everything and he placed his whole weight, his whole life, his whole legacy, his whole future, Isaac's whole future into the responsibility, into the lap of God for God to manage however he wanted to manage. And in that, it's a picture of Abrahamic righteousness. And when you look at Matthew's, Matthew chapter four, and we look at Matthew chapter five, six, and seven, you see the the same thing. I think that the, the righteousness that, that Jesus is after is a righteousness that says, um, I'm going to trust God no matter what. I'm just not going to fulfill the law to some degree, or I'm just not going to have a checklist of the 30 rules that God asked me to do today. I'm going to live in a way that I'm going to allow my life to be disadvantaged so that someone else can be advantaged. And come on, we don't think like that. I don't live like that all the time. And this is, this is why Jesus' first message is so difficult. 
because I can shake my head too. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's awesome. I read it, th- you know, not a thousand times. I read it a bunch of times. Uh, and I want to be like, yeah, I'm all in. But then when I start to think about what Jesus is really saying, and we'll end in a moment as he's saying, okay, what do you do about retaliation? What do you do about deep-seated lust? What do you do about divorce? What do you do about murder? You've heard it's been said in the law, but I'm here to tell you, you have to look at it from a different vantage point. You have to put on the lens of Jesus' righteousness and read the Sermon on the Mount with kingdom righteous perspective. And I guarantee you, and this has happened in my life just even this last year, you see his story, you see his messaging completely different. It's just not about someone. It's not about this good leader who wants us to do really, really good. It's just not about a a new king, a new royal figure in town who wants everyone to tuck in their shirts and to walk in a straight line and do the best that they can. No, what it is, it's, it's way greater than that. It's this new king who says, I'm coming into your world and your life. And for you to enter the kingdom of heaven is gonna require you to look cross shaped. You're gonna have to pick up your cross every day and you're gonna have to follow after me and it's gonna hurt sometimes absolutely no crucifixion feels good it's gonna hurt sometimes but the benefit of what it brings to your life and your family and culture around you is is flourishing that no one else can can offer and what is it to pick up your cross hear me now it's to disadvantage yourself every day and no one wants to do that. I didn't want to do it. I was driving with my friends and my wife and this truck passed me. They had no idea. They were in conversation. And I was livid because I stayed in traffic for an hour and then he decides to go 90 around the whole line. And I thought about him until I got back to camp. <laughs> That's not Shane disadvantaging himself in his heart. And I think if we're not careful, we just, that's what we do. It's never, oh my gosh, this is not a popular message. It's never about disadvantage. It's all about, I think today in the, in the 21st century, it's all about advantage, 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 advantage. Advantage, advantage, advantage. Like, man, when the going is good, get everything you can, right? And, and when opportunity is there, seize the opportunity. She's saying, ah, there's actually something different. When the opportunity is there, I'm asking you to do something. I'm asking you not to take the opportunity so that someone else can have that opportunity. Like, but, but God, what, 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 what? And he's take us back to, are you going to let me take care of Isaac? Or are you going to try and take for yourself and control for yourself and build for yourself? The kingdom of heaven is all about allowing not, 20 kings to reign, not a million kings to reign, but the kingdom of heaven, this message is all about, she's saying, listen, I know I'm new to many of you, but I'm the king and let me reign completely and fully within your life. In uh, Matthew chapter four, are you guys still with me? Matthew chapter four, uh, we see, uh, and I allude to it a little bit, but we see that Jesus led in up to, up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Everyone says, yeah, that makes sense. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is, this is Jesus speaking, yes, as the son of God, but also fully human. Fully human who hasn't, 
had food or water for 40 days. And he says, man should not live by bread alone. What is Jesus displaying? He's displaying the same thing that we see in Genesis chapter 22, what Abraham did. He's saying, I'm looking to my heavenly father as the source, as Jehovah Jireh, provision. And then the devil, he wasn't done there. He doesn't just stop at one attack. So if you've been attacked multiple, multiple times, know you're in good company. Jesus had gone through the same. And then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he shall command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they shall bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. We see that the, the enemy is trying to be a little the, the theologian or a little student of theology. He's getting it wrong. And Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to a test. Again, the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him, I want you to see this, all the kingdoms and their glory. And he said to him, all these I'll give to you if you'll fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels, they did come and they began to minister to the Christ. What do I see there? Well, I see that there was multiple options that the enemy presented to Jesus in a moment of weakness. And what Jesus did every single time is he didn't rely on his own strength. He didn't rely on his own personality, but he quickly relied on the, the help and the aid that comes from his heavenly father. And he begins to quote and begin to declare scripture. And it shows you that he didn't swing at the air. He didn't put the enemy in some type of MMA hold. There wasn't a physical altercation. You see that there's power in the authority that he exercised through the, the spoken word, the word of God. And we see that he could have shortcutted it. And why is this so fascinating to me? Well, because if you go to Genesis chapter four, you go to Genesis chapter three, you see that Adam and Eve were given two choices. They were, there was a decision to be made. And in that moment of their weakness, they decided for themselves to define who they're going to be and what they're going to take and what they're going to occupy. And in that, it cost them everything. We see that the children of Israel, they had a choice to be made as Moses was leading them into the promise that God had spoken to them. It was going to be a journey for sure. Uh, but we know as we read through the evidence of history that God was the provision for them every single day, both in what they ate, what they drank, and also his very presence was with them. Cloud and fire, pillars. Come on, anyone see that? No, right? And they still had a problem believing and trusting and leaning into that Abrahamic righteousness that I'm gonna trust you even when it doesn't make, make sense. And here we see Jesus comes on the scene. And instead of shortcutting, instead of... Uh, giving in to the moment, instead of selling out quickly, he chooses to hold on to the value and the warrant that comes to the word of God, knowing that that shuts the enemy down every single time. What's my challenge for us this evening? There's a few of them. One is that we would learn to trust God like that. And we would learn in the midst of attacks, in the midst of frustration, in the midst of going through circumstances and difficulties that we can't understand or we don't really know. Uh, we're, we're learning to trust God through, through it all. I shared this uh, with not anyone here, but I shared it. My wife's aware of this. My dad doesn't mind if I tell the story. But it's, it's, it's fascinating. My, my mom has 
gone through, I would say, I mean, she almost, and this isn't being melodramatic, she almost died uh, several months ago. She was in the hospital for quite a while. She could walk about eight feet, six, six to eight feet, and that was her PT for the day before her lungs would just give up, and she was on 90 plus percent oxygen, and it was a mess. It does not look like the fast-paced walking mom or char that many of us know. Uh, she went from walking like, and I didn't even know that either. I mean, my goodness, Olympics is so amazing. They have speed walking. She, 10 years younger, she would have been a contender. Um, and she went from that state to a place to where like she's on a walker, she's pulling around an oxygen tank, uh, lungs are a mess. She's never smoked a cigarette in her life. And this is what makes her so angry. But her lungs at that point looked like she was like she could have been like the poster child for marbles, right? Uh, like she smoked a box a day. I mean, just it was it's this scarlederma, which is this autoimmune disease that attacks the lung. Now, if you know my dad, my dad, I mean, he'll give you the shirt off his back. He, I, you know talking about him the other day. He picks up hitchhikers still. I mean, he just, he doesn't know a stranger. He, 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 he loves people like, and I don't ever, I don't think you can ever love people to a fault. He just loves people endlessly. Um, but he's also dealt with fear. And there's been at times a spirit of fear that would grip him. And it's been even in, if you, you know, if you know, like some of our extended family, same thing. And um, he's gone through this as being a caretaker for my mom. And uh, I'm just kind of watching. My sisters were helping out best we can. And uh, fast forward a little bit. I'm at his house one day. And I'm just having a conversation with both my parents. They're sitting down next to each other. Uh, and it just hits me. I'm like, Dad, you are completely different. He's like, what do you mean? I go, you don't. I think my other sister, was. I think Shauna was there. And I'm like, you just, you just, he's different, right? And my mom's like, mm-hmm. Because <laughs> she knows too. I'm like, mom, he's different. And he's like, come on, what am I, what's, what's different? I'm like, I don't know, dad. You, you're just at so much peace. Like, there's just, like, I've always had a good relationship with my dad, but it was enjoyable being there because I didn't have to feel like the guy that is the, Hooray, hurrah, faith cheerleader. We're in, an, we're in an atmosphere where he was carrying this peace and he was carrying this level of faith. He, he was content. And I'm like, Dad, there's something different about you. Like, and I just, I just recognized it. I, I go, I, th- I think fear is, is gone. And he began to think about it more and more and more throughout the up and coming days and weeks. And we talk about it. It's like, it's like even when he wasn't even aware, I don't know if he made a prayer. I know that a lot of people have been praying for them. But I think he came to a point where as he's disadvantaging himself and serving the one he really loves, who's been married to for a long time, I love what even he's not aware of it's not like Jesus came into the story. Jesus is already in the story. And why my mom's getting worked on, my dad has no idea that the very presence of God is working on him too. And dislodging whatever was holding up this level of faith 
and understanding what the real love of Jesus is all about. Because it says the, the perfect love of God cast out all fear. And it's like, it just took, took it, gone. And then sweet story, you know, my mom went from full oxygen, 90% throughout the course of the day. 30 some days later, the doctor calls her like at nine o'clock, 9.30 at night and says, we don't know what's going on, but we just need you to come off oxygen all day and just go on one liter at night. And you don't have to pack around that oxygen tank. And then she went to a test and she went from 50% lung capacity. Now she's at in the 60s. And we're just believing that she's going to continue just to tick up to 70s, 80s, 90s. What's the point? Why? I just share it personally because as a family, we've been going through a fight. And there's been times where I'm praying those prayers. I'm saying, God, I don't fully understand this. I, I know life and death. I know that's inevitable. It's, I mean, it's we all go through, but. I just don't think it's, it's ready now, and it's not yet. And I, I might have shared this before, but she also, she told me, she's like, she's like I, uh, I heard God say I'm getting new lungs. And so then my faith mode goes, that's awesome. There's such things like lung transplants, so. And then I'm trying to, like, and that, that wasn't lack of faith for me. I'm like, yeah, I mean, uh, and then someone says, well, lung transplant's not technically a new lung. To borrowed one. I'm like, I'll take it, dude, right? Like, if it works, you know, it works. But uh, she goes, he, he told me I'm getting, I'm getting new lungs. And I, I left that phone call, that conversation, and I started driving down the road. I'm like, okay, okay, God. She either heard from you and she's getting new lungs or she didn't really hear from you. And she's kind of one of those, those, wishful hope. I think I heard, I think I heard the whispers of the Father. I think I heard the whispers of Jesus. And uh, that was prior to us getting the news that, okay, we need you to come off your oxygen. The reason why I say that is, even when I've been studying a little bit in the Old Testament, there's times that uh, when enemies would invade like places like Jericho, for example. Let's, let's take a city like that. If you're in Jericho and you're part of that city and you hear like a trumpet, like a tap, or you hear like a, a long hold of the horn, that's not a technical term, but just hear me. It's like there's either the, the, or the trumpet or the, you know, it's more like a shofar. Um, but the point is they would hear different sounds of a trumpet and to them, they're like, we know what that means. And they think, that means the enemy's already here. That means we've already been invaded and it's over. And you think, well, that's kind of a negative illustration. I, I want you to hear this. I, I really feel this. I feel that God is giving to, to many of you a word that's like that trumpet sound. That you might not see it completely. You might not the, know the full story, but God is, could be tonight, could be the next few moments when we begin to worship, could be as you're going to sleep tonight, could be when you wake up in the morning. I really believe that God's going to give many of you who've just been really just needing some confirmation in different areas of your life that he's going to give you this, this word. He's going to give you this, this certainty, this reassurance that I'm with you. I'm not going to leave you nor forsake you. And that's all you need to go on. And like Abraham, Jesus says, this is the greater righteousness. The one that trusts me no matter 
no matter what. All right. I'll save, I'll save the examples for another day. But I want you to just close your eyes for a moment. And I don't know, as I began even earlier saying that I think, and I know that this, this room particularly, it, it represents like just a, it's like a landing spot for like the presence of, of God. It's, it's an encounter place. And it's so funny because it's, it's an old building. It's musty. There used to be bats flying around. You know, there, there's a lot that, you know, is going w- good with it, but there's also a lot that, you know, we're still, we're still working on. And I love that. Regardless of all that, it, it, it's an encounter spot for people to encounter the presence of Jesus. And I think my, my, one of my prayers tonight is that as we consider, okay, the kingdom of God has come. And we see that John the Baptist, he's, his first message is repent, change the way you think, live, act completely to reorganize your life around this new kingdom, this new way of living. Um, I think it requires that we just don't say just a half yes, or we just nod uh, just in a way of like just subtle acceptance. But I think this really demands like a full hearted yes. I'm fully in to this relationship with Jesus. No matter if it means there's changes that he's going to ask of me, no matter if it means there is um, uh, things that I've been considering that I really want to do, but it might be something that he's asking me to give up. And it also might mean there's certain things that he's placed in front of me that just scare me to death. But I'm going to trust that God's graced me, that he is for me, and he's given me everything I need to walk in with full assurance that he's he's everything that's needed to be. I think there's there's a there's a full complete yes that some of you just need to say tonight to uh, your relationship with Jesus. Just a full yes like I have been and, and just keep your eyes closed for a moment. Some of you have been part way in. I've kind of just I've tiptoed around this this relationship with Christ. I don't know. I, th- I think the presence of God is here and saying, come on, come on, come on, come on. Trust me completely, not just with parts of your life, but all of your life. Know this, that the kingdom of heaven is motivated by love. That's why we read, as I've already stated in Matthew chapter 22, that the motivator is loving God with everything. And Jesus works from this same advantage point. The reason why he asks all of you is first and foremost because he loves you with everything imaginable. Uh, And he trusts that he can get you from where you're at to where you're supposed to be, where you're designed to be. So if that's you tonight, you know who who, um, I'm talking to. And you have not given just a full everything about your life, yes. But tonight you're making a decision. I don't want to move another step into tomorrow, into the next day, without making this solid commitment that, man, my whole life I want to be centered on Jesus. If that's you, could you just just raise your hand right where you're at? Love it. I don't like when preachers do this. It's like baiting. But could could you just stand if that's you? I'm sorry. I just feel like full-hearted yes, has to, it requires it standing. I love that. I love that. Come on, leaders, just begin just to pray.
Thank you for joining us today. To stay connected with our community, you can follow us at Capital Young Adults.